0: The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. So we finished our part, at least of what I could do, in regarding the Lord's Prayer or Disciples' Prayer, the the model prayer that we studied in uh, verses 9 through 13 and 14 and 15 in this Sermon on the Mount. But we need to remember, kind of go back and refresh, Uh, Jesus starts out his sermon, and people are thinking this is something new, Um, but he says, hey, wait a minute, and in verse 17 he says, I didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets, I didn't come to do any of that, but I came to fulfill it. So he's teaching them and telling them that their religion is not up to standard, And then in verse 20, he shocks them all when he says, I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, these people were the holiest people of that time. They were the religious leaders. And he says, you have to exceed their righteousness even to get into the kingdom of heaven. So the very best men among those in that time, they couldn't cut it. Noblest, most religious people. Because the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees was just all external, ritual, and all for show, ritualistic, and really, he calls them out and says, you guys are hypocrites. Because the righteousness that God demands is something that's on the inside. And we saw in the Sermon on the Mount how he starts out in chapter 5 with the Beatitudes. He's talking about their character and their character is inadequate. Their personal lives, their system of religion will not bring them into his kingdom. So he's really tearing down their confidence that they have in their religious system. And then he points out... Three things that have to do with worship. The giving, we talked about giving. And then he talks about the prayer. And he goes into more extent than the others about prayer. And that's why we took a pause and studied that. And then he moves on, part of worship talks about fasting. Now, Jesus just like with anything else, it's all part of worship. So Jesus assumes that his followers would fast. Remember, we studied in Matthew 6, 2, it says about when we talked about giving, says when you do a charitable deed, well, he assumes that you will do one. And then in verse 5 says, when you pray, well, isn't that part of worship? He assumes that you will pray. And so Jesus assumes that his followers would be fasting, And folks, we do hear about giving from the pulpit a lot. We hear about prayer a lot. But fasting is not something we hear about a lot. But in the Old Testament, many faithful believers fasted. We talk about the heroes of faith and so forth. If you look at and analyze their lives, they fasted. Moses, Samson, Samuel, Hannah, David, you name it, they fasted. I mean... Moses fasted when he was receiving the Ten Commandments for 40 days and 40 nights, too. If you look at Exodus thirty-four twenty-eight, it says, So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And we all know the star- story of Anna in the New Testament. It says in Luke 2, 37, And this woman was a widow about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings, and prayers day and night, so John, the Baptist, and his disciples they fasted as a matter of fact, they questioned Jesus, they said, "Hey, we fast, the Pharisees fast, but how come your your, your followers, your disciples don 't fast? If you look at matthew nine fourteen then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we, we the righteous people, and the Pharisees, these unrighteous people, fast often." But your disciples do not fast. So at the time, Jesus and his disciples were not fasting. And the reason for that, Jesus gave an explanation in the verse 15. It says, Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So Jesus said in his absence fasting is going to be a priority for his disciples. They're going to fast too. But fasting, we'll talk about a little bit more here in a second, but fasting is seeking the face of God, right? So, that, so you need to understand Jesus is there physically with them, so they don't really need to seek. He's, he's right there. So that's why they were not fasting, but when Jesus is going to be taken up, he says then they will start fasting too. So I need this to understand that this is something part of worship. And even if you study early church history and just regular people that we call them pastors preachers whatever you want to call them uh, they all fasted and they got extra power john wesley you know he said when you seek god with fasting added to prayer you cannot seek his face in vain we read about john calvin he fasted a lot prayed a lot and what's the result almost the entire city of geneva came to know god And if we study Jonathan Edwards, American history, one of those famous people that, I don't know if you read his sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, his biographer mentioned about him that he fasted so often that he was actually physically sometimes tired to stand in the pulpit. He would faint. And Martin Luther also, who was the Protestant Reformation leader, if we Put him, give him that category. He speaks in his writings of fastings uh, in prayer often. So Jesus expects us to fast. So the first question is, when was the last time you fasted? Don't answer, but we'll get to that. There is spiritual power in fasting, but Jesus gives us a warning about it, just like he gave a warning about giving, gave a warning about prayer, and now he's given a Warning about fasting. And he says, Moreover, in verse 16, in Matthew six sixteen verses 16 through 18, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with sad countenances, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, But to your Father who is in secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So in the time of Christ, fasting, just like every other aspect of their religion, has been twisted, taken out of context and Jesus is taking it back to where it needs to be. We read in the Bible, it says, you know, most of them were proud about fasting. You know, they fasted twice a week. Uh, The Pharisees did and one of the things they said was they twice fast a week is because they said that uh, they chosen those days because Moses made two separate trips to receive the tablets of the law so those are the days that they're uh, fasting because he came down he had to go back up so they fasted twice a week but those two days actually happened to be maybe it's coincidence were the market days in their city So a lot of people will come down to the market. And guess what happens in the market? You have a large audience. You have a large audience there, and they wanted to call attention to their fasting, so they put on the gloomy face and, you know, tear their clothes and don't brush their hair. And Sometimes they even, I read one account where they actually put makeup with ashes on their eyes to make them look paley and sickly. And when the heart is not right... This fasting becomes sham, mockery. So Jesus says, they're just doing it to be seen of men. So they're going hungry, but they're not doing it for the right reasons. They're doing it to show themselves off. They're the ones in the center of their own fastings. And God had no place in their motives. God had no place in their thinking. And there he says, well, if I don't have a place in your motives or thinking, I will have no place in giving you any reward. You have it. Your reward's in full. And what's that reward? To be seen by men. That's it. So this morning, I want us to think about fasting because Jesus expected us to fast. We see that leaders of the church have passed, uh, fasted, but We have to do it appropriately because obviously if we, this is the time that we're living in is the time to fast with everything that's going on in the world. And fasting, folks, is basically going without food and water, right? So why give up delicious food? You can just pray, right? We just talked about prayer. So why do I need to fast? Why do I need to give up food, delicious barbecue, mmm, brisket? Why do I need to do that? Well, there was a story about, if I can put it this way, about two lumberjacks, one old lumberjack and a younger lumberjack. And the younger one was big and tough, and he challenged the old lumberjack <clears throat> to see who, how many trees they can cut down in a day and who can beat each other. So the younger lumberjack started chopping up trees, and he's going all day nonstop. And he knew he was getting ahead, especially when he saw the older guy, he would chop trees for an hour and then take a 15-minute break. Then he takes another, chops trees for an hour, takes a 15-minute break, and the younger one said, "I, I got this. But by the end of the day, it seems that the older lumberjack cut down one-third more than the younger one. And the younger one couldn't understand it. He said, how can, how can you cut down more trees than I did when I went non-stop and you took like 15-minute breaks? And he said, well, when I took a break and sat down, I sharpened my axe. And not a lot of us are that way. We're wondering, why aren't we we're doing the right thing? We're we're praying, we're, not that we're sinful, but we're doing things with a dull axe. So fasting is kind of a sharpening your axe. Sometimes we see people, well, they don't even go to church as often as I do. They don't participate in ministries as often as I do. They don't do all these things, but somehow they're more on a different level spiritually than I am. Why is that? Why aren't we moving mountains spiritually? Why aren't we defeating the devil? And folks, we talked about the devil last Sunday. And devil is real. He's not just made up. He's powerful and he's going to attack you. And sometimes we can't defeat them even with prayer. You see, you can pray without fasting. But you can't fast without prayer. Those go together. Fasting is sharpening the axe, or sharpening your prayer, if you would. And let me illustrate this with the Word of God. Look at Mark chapter 9, verses 17 and 18. And it says, Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who ha- who was a mute spirit, who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seized him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. So there's a crowd. Disciples and Jesus are preaching, teaching, casting out demons and healing and doing their things. And here's a man comes to Jesus and says, hey, they couldn't cast out this spirit. They're casting out other spirits. Why can't they help my son? And then he appeals to Jesus, and Mark 9, says, And often this spirit has thrown him both into fire and into water, drowns himself, throws him in the wire to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So his disciples, not that they were sinful or whatever, but for whatever reason, they couldn't cast out this spirit, and this man appeals to Jesus and says, Help us. They can't do it. Can you do it? And then in verse 35, 25, says, When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. So Jesus casts out this spirit. Right? But his disciples weren't able to do it. And again, his disciples were not sinful. They're with Jesus. He's the one that's teaching him, helping him. He's the one that gave him the power to cast out spirits in the first place. So in verse 28, his disciples came into the house and disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? I mean, we got our axes ready and we're chopping down trees, but why can't we cast it out? Well, in verse 29, Jesus says to them, this kind, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Remember I shared with you last Sunday where they were casting out demons and some Jewish people just thought, hey, we're going to cast out demons too. And then he said, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But who are you? But sometimes... The devil sits there and says, yeah, I know who you are, but he's very stubborn. He's not coming out. You're not, over, you're not able to overcome him. And Jesus tells him here, this one, this kind, can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So this circumstance can overcome this tragedy only be reversed by prayer and fasting. Now, many of us want to be super Christians, right? But we're not willing to make all the sacrifices that it takes to be the superhero Christians. We want to build a small foundation. You know, we read about the heroes of faith and so forth, and we're like, yeah, but at the same time, if you read about the life of that hero of faith, we don't want to do any of that stuff that they did. You know, we build a little foundation, and we want on this foundation to build the Empire State Building, right? Right? Well, you can't build an empire state building on a foundation of a chicken coop, right? So when you build a high-rise, what do you do? You dig down deep. Ever seen how they build high-rises, especially in New York? They deep, deep. They dig and dig and dig. And fasting is God's way of getting you to this deeper spiritual reality. And in Zechariah 7, verses 5 and 6, it says, So to all the people of the land and to the priest, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me? When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Now, again, let me try to explain this, but follow me here. After church today, when you're going to be eating, who will be you eating for? You'll be eating for yourself, right? Nobody but you. I can guarantee you that. When you're going to eat, or think about last Sunday, you didn't eat with me in mind, did you? Right? And I didn't eat with any of you in mind. So when you get that gospel bird, the fried chicken, in front of you today, I don't typically pick up a leg or a piece of chicken and I'm eating it and I'm thinking, what is Mike Kelly doing today right now? I don't do that. And I'm sure Mike Kelly doesn't do that either. Why? Because he's doing the same thing as I'm doing. We're want to, when when we're eating, we're really concerned with, Three folk, me, myself, and I, right? We want to feed ourselves. When I eat, my belly has cried out, feed me. And I say, I'm your servant. I'm going to feed you. Whatever you want, I'll do. So I become obedient servant to the cry of my flesh to receive food. I eat for me. Everyone eats because they desire food. And sometimes we eat food when we don't even desire, right? In other words, eating is the way to satisfy you, and the only reason you eat is really for you. But God says in Zechariah, when you fast, is that for me? So when you eat, that is for you. But when you give up food, you get my attention just like you get attention when you eat food, right? You just focus on the food. When you give up food, you focus on God. So when we fast... We're saying the cry of my soul is greater than the cry of my belly, right? Because Jesus is the only one who can address the cry of our soul. And I'm going to give up the cry of a belly in order to feed my cry of my soul. And it's really a test of how serious you are about what you're willing to deny yourself. So for example, you know, This happens to me quite often. In business, people sometimes go a day without eating, right? You skip lunch. I don't know if anybody does that or heard of that, but you don't have time to stop and eat because maybe you're working on the deal, right? you got to get this deal done. So what becomes more important than food? This deal. In other words, cutting the deal is more important than the meal. Or maybe you're skipping a Meal to meet a deadline, so you're not eating, because the deadline is more important than the meal. So what God is saying, the same things hold true in the spiritual life, when you're willing to give up the cry of the flesh because the crisis or the the critical to some important thing in your life is more important than food. So principle of fasting is giving up a craving of the body because you have a deeper need of the soul or of the spirit. So, again, biblical fasting is basically abstaining from food for a period of time for spiritual reasons and purposes. That's real important you understand that because there's lots of fastings out there in the the world and lots of books about fastings and, you know, intermittent fasting. And that all has to do with, like, diet, and that might be well and great. But this is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about fasting for spiritual reasons, you know. Now, we're talking about, when we fast, we're talking about bringing our hearts, our life, to such a burning focus, seeking the heart and the face of God and his power that we set aside the food and other pleasures to seek God. Now, that might sound simple. We just give up food, right? And water and all that stuff, and it's not a big deal. Let me tell you, I can go out probably two days without eating food. You know, food don't bother me. Sometimes my wife gets upset when she cooks, you know, because it's like, she's like, I can give you a hot dog or I can give you the steak, it's the same thing, because food doesn't do anything to me. But let me tell you, when I fast, biblically, when I fast, when I typically don't eat food for spiritual purposes, boy, that McDonald's commercial looks good. All of a sudden, this food will have an appeal to me. Even the typically food I won't eat. I'm like, I'm hungry. Fifteen minutes later, well, well what's happening? You see, the devil shows up. When you're given up food, because you say, well, I can give up food. That's not a problem. But when you're truly seeking God's face, and you're given up food for spiritual purposes because you kind of have a situation or something you can pray about, and we'll talk about those situations, the devil's going to show up. He's going to try to appeal to your flesh, and say, hey, that cheeseburger is more important than you seeking God's face and his will. This is not what he did to Jesus when he was stepping him in the, in the desert. He said, hey, look at those rocks. Make, make those bread. Because he knew Jesus was fasting and he was hungry. And that's what he'll do. So don't think that it's, fasting is not easy. True biblical fasting, that's not, it's not easy. Now, if I wasn't fasting... And maybe for your exercise reasons or lose weight, you're not you doing those fast things. It may become easier for you, but trust me, when you're doing it for spiritual reasons, it's going to be hard. And Jesus warns us here because there's a right and a wrong way of doing things. He's given us a warning. Kind of reminds me of a couple that went duck hunting, and somebody told them that they should get a dog. If they're going to hunt ducks, they said, You need to get a hunting dog. So they went out hunting with the hunting dog and they didn't catch anything. And the husband said, I wonder why we didn't catch anything. Well, the wife said, Maybe because you're not throwing the dog high enough. See, there's a wrong way of doing things. And if you look at Jeremiah 14 12, he says, When they fast, I will not hear. So they are fasting. They are giving up food, water, because they want to be heard. They're seeking the face of God. But he says, I'm not going to hear them. So it's possible for us to, to fast for, with wrong motives. And just like in verse 16, he says, when you fast, do not like be like the hypocrites, because they're doing all this stuff, set countenances, disfigure their faces, That they may appear to men to be fasting. So when you go into fast, you have to have the right motives. And he mentions them here. When you, what's the motives? Don't exhibit it. Don't parade it around. Now, sometimes you can't help but to tell people you're fasting. Right? They're take you out to lunch or whatever, and you say you're not eating. They want to know why. Say, well, I'm fasting. That's not parading it around parading around and saying, I'm fasting when nobody asked, (laughs) you know. So don't exhibit here. In Luke 18, 12, we see that. Pharisee says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Well, who asked? No, he just felt special. He wanted to know people that I fast twice a week. And again, they fasted on those two days because they wanted to see go to the merchants, farmers, and shoppers at the market and had a large audience. Then we need to avoid ritualism. And again, it says it's a ritual by saying, I fast twice a week. So it was like clockwork for them. Well, is there a reason you're fasting? No, just do it twice a week. There's no reason. You're not seeking really the face of God. You're just doing it so you can just... Exhibit it twice a week. Really, you're just going hungry two two days. And everything you're praying for, God says, I will not hear. Paul, who also fasted often, and as we read the scriptures, you will see that the Bible never prescribes a specific time for a fast. It all depends on the person, depends on the circumstance, depends on the situation, depends on the need. If you look at Second Corinthians 11:27, just one of the places, Paul mentions uh, about himself. He's looking at his life, and it says, in weariness and toil, and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst. He's talking about his just life's ministry. And then he says, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. So he's saying, hey, when I was teaching and preaching, I was going doing all these things. Why does it say in fastings two twice a week? Fastings often. It depends on the situation. So you can go without fasting maybe for two, three months, and then you're gonna fast. You don't have to fast every so avoid ritualism. And then avoid egotism. If you really look at 1812, he says, I fast twice a week, give tithes to all I possess. what what, what is that? that's a little pride that's a little ego saying hey look at me what a good boy i am now he didn't say that here but kind of implies it here and for really because this whole fasting thing has been taken out of context not just during their time but taken out of context in our time too we don't see it being done properly in churches today right People make up their own stuff. Now, biblically, it always talks about giving up food and water. Now, there's exceptions to that, so I don't want to be legalist, and we'll talk about them at the end, but typically, it's just food and water. You abstain for those things, but now we have fasts such as, well, talks about giving up pleasures in life, pleasing the flesh, so... This week, I'm going to drive my BMW instead of driving my Mercedes. That's there. You laugh, but those are true things. So some say, well, instead of eating meat, I'm going to eat fish. Oh, you're going to just eat more healthier this week? Okay. It's not really a fast. You're still pleasing the flesh. So it's all kind of twisted up, and maybe that's the reason, again, it's not being done in the modern church. And I believe It's because the devil designs it this way. He throws confusion because when we fast, you're going to see true, and you do it biblically the correct way. You're going to see spiritual power in your life. Real fasting brings us to God. It centers on the Lord. So let's talk about some things what fasting ministry will do to us, what Why do we fast? When should we fast? And I'm going to mention some things to you, but these are not the only reasons, but what will biblical fasting will do? Well, first thing is going to straighten and strengthen your prayer life. Because again, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, there is a reason that fasting is going after prayer. Because I said, you can pray without fasting, but you can't fast without prayer. So, one of the reasons is it's going to strengthen your prayer life. Look at Ezra chapter 8, verses 21-23. It says, Then I proclaimed a fast there on the river Hava that we might humble ourselves. There's so many things in here about fasting. One of the reasons they fasting is not just to strengthen their prayer life, but you can see it here to humble themselves before our God, to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones in all of our possessions. For I am ashamed to request the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we have spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. So they fasted. Why? They didn't want to here they are, kind of didn't want to ask the pagan, uh, pagan king, say, We need help. Why didn't they want to ask the pagan king? Well, because they boasted about their God. He will protect us. But now they wanted to kind of sharpen that prayer. They fasted in prayer that that will be so. And said, God, you need to make a way for us, for our children, and for our substance. And again, when he does that, who gets the glory? God gets the glory. And we read, folks, in Joel 2. Yeah, there's a book called Joel in the Bible. One of the minor prophets. Verse 12, it says, Now therefore, says the Lord, tor- turn to me with all your heart. And then it says, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. And again, fasting typically comes with weeping, with mourning. And one of the reasons that we pray And sometimes we pray, folks, you know, we forget what we prayed for yesterday, last night. We can't remember our prayers 100%. But one of the reasons we fast is show our sincerest and call attention to everything in our prayers to strengthen our prayers. And this one other illustration shows in Cornelius. Cornelius, we know, is a Roman. And he seeked the face of God. He prayed. But then it says in Acts 10, verses 30-31, it says "So Cornelius said, For four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in a bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your arms are remembered in the sight of God. This was a Gentile. And he was praying, and then he started fasting. When he started fasting, showed God that he didn't care about the food or the pleasures. He was seeking the face of God, and guess what? He said your prayer has not been heard. Well, didn't God hear his prayer without him fasting? I'm sure he did. But it's just for us, it strengthens our prayer. Also, fasting subdues self. You know, it gives strength in our prayer and then subdues self. Uh, We need to realize that, really, we are slaves to our flesh. Really, some of us are slaves to the refrigerator. We are. We are taught to pamper ourselves. We have a slavery to food. And you know that, in the Bible, pride and eating are linked together. For example, let me give you this. When I say Sodom... Gomorrah. You're probably thinking sexuality, homosexual sin, and all that kind of stuff, right? We don't think about the other sins, like pride. But look in Ezekiel 16:49. Says, "Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her she and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness." Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. We don't think of sins as pride, gluttony, laziness, all those things. We typically associate it with homosexuality. But when we're focusing on those sins, we're kind of dismissing these other sins. And really in our world, in Christianity, we don't much... Consider sin of gluttony anymore, do we? When was the last sermon you heard about that? We're all guilty of it. We have so much of it. And when we have so much of it, what happens to us? We forget God. So that's why we need to fast. We forget God. Look in Deuteronomy 8 11, 14. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. By not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I commend to you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiplied, all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. We sometimes forget that we are brought out from the house of bondage because we have so much. And I've seen it so many times. You know, people start out in ministry and they're faithful. They're serving God and all that stuff, and God blesses them, blesses their business, blesses their work, gives them promotions and things like that and then they forget you see him less and less because now they're preoccupied with the blessings rather than seeking the face of god now at other times we also fast and pray to hold back judgments of god and what i mean by that it, you know we strengthen our prayer we subdue ourselves But sometimes not just prayer, but prayer with fastings will hold back the judgment of God. And if you look at Jonah, we all know the story, right? He sent God sent Jonah to Nineveh and to say, Hey, you got forty days, city will be destroyed. That's what's his sermon. But look at verse 5. It says in Jonah 3:5. So the people of Nineveh believed God proclaimed what? A fast. Why? You can just pray, right? But they proclaimed the fast and put a sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And then in verses 7 to 8 talks about the king and he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying let neither men nor beast herd nor flock test, taste anything do not let them eat or drink water in verse 8 but let man and beasts covered with sackcloth and cry mighty to god yes let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands again why can't they just pray and not only he told the people, he said, hey, even the beasts and the animals, don't be giving them any food. Don't give them any water. So you see, again, this has to do with food, water, and drink. Why not just pray without a fast? You see, when we fast, there's a special need. We're showing God that we're seriousness in our repentance. We're, you know, we're in our devotion to him, and we're giving full attention that we're not going to please our flesh. And guess what happened in verse 10? It says, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So this capital city, city in Assyria, I think where Assyria is now, was rotten, sinful, ready for judgment, and yet God showed mercy. And sometimes we think the idea of God wants to judge. God does not want to judge. He will, but that's not what he wants to do. In Jeremiah, we can read where he says, in uh, verse eight, uh, chapter 18, verses 7 and 8, says, in an instant I was speaking concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and pull, to pull down and to destroy it. And then he says in verse 8, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from if its evil, I will relent of the disasters that I thought to bring upon it. So when we, when we cry out to God in repentance and we add fasting to him, is shown God will hold back judgment. Now I want you to understand just because you're going to fast doesn't mean that he will. And the great illustration of that in the Bible is David. David committed a sin of adultery and God said, because you did all this, the sword won't depart your house and then the child that's going to be born is going to die when the child was born got sick what was david doing he was praying and fasting praying and fasting that the child wouldn't die but the child still died so god can hold judgment but sometimes he will not because that's the penalty for sin Another fasting thing that will do to us is it will kind of help us destroy our enemies. When we fast, it will subdue enemies. If you look at 2 Chronicles, King Josaphat, he saw multiple people and multiple nations coming against them. If you look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20, first verse four, four verses, and it says, And it happened after this. That the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Josephat. Then some came and told Josephat, There's a great multitude coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazon, Tamar, which is Giddy. <laughs> and and Joseph feared and set himself to seek the Lord. How was he seeking the Lord? And proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So not that they're just going to be seeking the Lord. But this is a priority. We're giving up everything. He proclaimed a fast through all Judah. And then verse 4, So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And when they did that, God saw their seriousness. And he says in verse 15, And he said, listen to all you Judah and your inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Josaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but whose? But God's. And then in verse 22, it says, Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord said ambushes against the people of Ammon Moab and Mount Seir.'" who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. God's people fasted. They prayed. They praised. And they didn't come overcome these enemies with their own chariots, horses, and their own weapons or their stronger shields. But it says God fought this fight. They defeated them with the Almighty God. And God always gets the glory. God always gets the praise. Look at verse 29. It says, And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms in those countries when they heard that Joseph fought against them. No. When they heard the Lord had fought against these enemies of Israel. So when we have spiritual enemies, we're going through difficulties, and you're praying, try fasting and praying and God will fight your battles for you. We also fast when we need wisdom, when we need guidance. You know, for example, Daniel contemplated on Jeremiah's prediction of the 70 years, desolation, and so forth. And in verse 2 of chapter 9, it says this In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And it says, I set my face toward the Lord God to make a request by prayer and supplications. How did he make his prayer and supplications? Fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And then if you skip down to verses 21 22, and 22, it says, Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, man Gabriel, whom I've seen in a vision that began beginning, beginning cause to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering, and he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. Daniel? prophet of God, reading Jeremiah, is having difficulty. Now, I'm not talking about visions here, but he wanted to understand what he didn't understand. 70 years up, or well, what does this mean? So God sent an angel to him, now he sends the Holy Spirit to us to open up and give him understanding and skill of understanding the Scriptures. So sometimes, we come across the scripture and we hear different things it's explained this way or it's explained that way and in my life I've experienced that and I said I just want to know the truth right God you see my heart this person that I respect and trust is explaining this way and this person that I trust and respect is explaining this way it can't be so when you pray and fast God opens up the scriptures to you when you seek his face And not only that, um, people often fasted when they chose different leaders or when they placed pastors, for example, in different churches. Not just prayer, but they did it with fasting because they wanted to make sure what they're doing is correct and they hear from the Lord God. If you look at Acts uh, chapter 13... Verses 2 to 4, it says, And they ministered to the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Spirit said. So they're praying, fasting, they're waiting on an answer. Now the Spirit says, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So they chose two two missionaries, if you will. And then in Acts 14.23 it says when they were appointing pastors or elders of the church, it says so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They found the will of God, through prayer, fasting, sharpening the axe kind of if you will. And I believe that's one of the secrets of the growth of the early church, they fasted. If you look at if you really pay attention to the scriptures, you will find a lot of, when it talks about prayer, it also has a word fast next to it. So fasting and prayer, when we're making important or difficult decisions in our lives. And fasting, folks, will shatter your strongholds. When i mean by that, we all know when God saved you, he didn't save you where you can't sin no more, right? And sometimes people struggle. They want to give up certain things, but they just have difficulties in their lives because there's addiction or there's something else going on that in this particular sin, they they know it's wrong, they want to give it up, but the flesh always beats them, and they always pray and repent. Try praying and fasting. In Isaiah 58, 6, it says, is this not the fast I have chosen? To lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. We have lots of people that are oppressed. They're saved, but some areas of their life, they're still afraid and oppressed. And I wouldn't, you know, I don't think I'll be too far off to say there's people here that are bound. There's invisible bounds that we have of fear, bitterness, resentment perversion, lust, and we fight those things and we pray for them. They're bound, and we need to fast and pray to set those captives free. And when I say that, I don't refer to that person necessarily that has that issue. I say it for the congregation. We need to pray as a congregation and fast as a congregation to help those people set free so those are the some reasons and again the Bible doesn't say if this happens then when you need to fast again typically in the Bible you see people start to fast when there's a deep need or a concern and so forth in your life you do the same thing so there's no particular situations per se that you need to fast but Jesus says, when you fast, so he expects you to fast. And there's a proper way to doing it. So I can't go over all the reasons that you need to fast. But if there's something you're praying for, not heard an answer yet, try praying and fasting. And there's a way to do it. Again, don't be a hypocrite in fasting, trying to look all sad and And religious, to let everybody around you know that you're fasting. Jesus says, complete opposite. He says, don't change your appearance to draw people around you to like, oh, you okay? Oh, I'm fasting. He says, don't do that. He says, go, comb your hair, brush your teeth, so you look normal. Just because you're fasting doesn't mean you got to, walk around looking at an unmade bed, right? Wrinkled shirt and all that kind of stuff. No. And it says when you do these religious exercises, do everything except draw attention to yourself that you're doing them. But show your devotion to the Lord. By fasting, we're showing God dedication, earnestness, but when we start doing these Religious exercises just to, oh, I do it twice a week, just to get brownie points. You're not going to get any merit with God. And I think we're losing sight of these religious exercises that really hold spiritual power. And we would be more spiritually powerful if we practiced them properly. God's promise for those seeking his glory, not men's, he will reward us. In Matthew 6:18, 6, 6, 6, it says, "So that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who's in secret place, and your father who sees in secret, will reward you openly." So to obtain men's rewards, we need to be seen by them. You know what's interesting in all these three categories of worship? I'm just going to say, two people can come to church. Two people can pray the same way. Two people can give the same amount of money. They can, you know, give whatever. And two people, exactly the same, they will fast. They will fast two days, not any food. And then God says, I'm going to accept one, but I'm not going to accept the other. Because, you see, it's important that you check your motives that's one thing we can't see, right? All we see, two people praying, two people giving, two people fasting. But we can't see the mo- motives. But it's important for you to understand that God sees your motives. So if you're fooling us, you're not fooling God. God sees all. Nothing will be overlooked or missed by him. You know, in Psalm 34:15 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry." So remember back in Jeremiah, "When they fast, I will not hear." Why? Yeah, they're fasting. but their inside, their heart is not pure. So their fast is pointless. Their cry to me is pointless. Get your heart straight." In Proverbs 15:3, we read, "The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on evil and the good. God sees all the good, the evil, the motives. And sometimes, folks, you know, there's, we hear heroes of faith. We hear names of well-known pastors. And they may be well-known here, but when you get to heaven, you'll be surprised how many people that you thought were known, they're going to be unknown. And nobodies in heaven will be somebodies. Because God will openly now in front of everybody, will reward people. He will reward you. Well, you say, well, this guy was a pastor. Corne was a pastor and so forth. He's going to get a big reward, and then I get like a nickel. I'll be sweeping gold dust, right? Well, what happened to him? Well, because his motives weren't right. And then he'll reward somebody else with a big old castle where I'll be sweeping the gold dust. Because their motives were pure. They were correct. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. So folks, when you're doing these things, giving, praying, fasting number one check your motivation is it really seeking god's face or is it seeking or asking for something felt selfish you know you shouldn't ask but you're like god didn't answer me it didn't provide it so i'm going to fast and ask anyway i want that S 500 or something i don't know and again also prayerfully choose your fast You know, there's not really, if you look at the Scripture, there's not really any rules to fasting except abstain from food. But there's also exceptions to that. Sometimes you can go without food and water. Sometimes you go just without food, but you need to drink a little water because you may have a medical condition. And don't think like, hey... I have a medical condition. I have to drink water. God's going to punish me for it. No, because you see, again, it's the motive. God knows you're not drinking water to please your flesh. You're drinking water to stay alive, right? So I drink water here because I have a condition. I have Sahara Desert in my mouth. So you don't want to hear me speak when my tongue sticks to the top of my roof. I don't drink it to please the flesh. That way I can drink it so I can talk. So, but again, it's always refraining from food and water and drink. And you can do it half a day. You can do it all day. You can do it two days. Whatever you choose, you set that parameter for yourself and you stick to it. And God will honor that. And we need to, again... Avoid all extremes. You know, sometimes people, oh, I'm going to fast, and they, I'm going to proclaim a fast for three days. Man, you can't even go without food for an hour. Try it. Set those little times. Uh, again, if you have a medical condition, again, doesn't mean that you can't uh, eat a little bit of food so you don't pass out. You're not, good. you're not any good if you're dead, right? So there's exceptions. If you're pregnant and so forth, because sometimes churches were like, I know the church I went to is, we're sitting to fast no matter what, don't care, nobody eats, <laughs> nobody drinks water. Well, when you come back, you only got 50 members left, right? Half of them are dead. No, God sees your heart, so you have to set that. If you have medical problems, again, but it's not replacing something for something else. It's not replacing fish for steak or, you know, replacing a cheeseburger for a something else. It's going without food, without water, and again, it's not giving up, I'm not going to drive my car, or I'm not going to wear name-brand clothing for a week. Those are people, they do those kind of fasts, and those are just not biblical fasts. It's pertaining to abstaining from food, water, not pleasing your flesh, And saying, God, this is is more important than feeding my flesh. And folks, it's our responsibility to be faithful to him and to do his will. And he will be faithful to us. And he will reward you for your faithfulness, folks. He will. And Revelation 22, 12 says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Amen. Let's pray.